Well, good morning, church. It is always a blessing for us to be together. As I think about the heart of the Hebrews letter in the New Testament, I think more than anything else that the message of, of Hebrews is trying to get us to have this soul-deep confidence in God's love for us and God's willingness to go any distance he needs to go to reach us. And that though there are times that we feel like we're not good enough, as the piles reminded us this morning, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough to assure us that our relationship with God is always a gift and a blessing. It's never an accomplishment. On Friday morning, I had the honor of speaking at Lauren's grandmother's funeral. Uh, Mima is what we called her, 96 years old. And I, you know, I grew up in a home where my parents were the first people who came to faith. So I, I didn't have grandparents who were excited when I decided to become a preacher. But the very first time I met Lauren's grandparents, they were beaming with pride that they now had a preacher in the family. Now, what that meant for Peepaw was he pulled me aside to make sure I was on the straight and narrow. <laughs> and there was always a part of him that wasn't, wasn't quite sure that I knew what I was doing, or at least that I knew what I was talking about. Meemaw was just always right there, ready to hug me and, and remind me of how proud she was of me. And one of the things that, that Mima and Peepaw remind me of is I think about them. You know, they were, they were as Church of Christ as you could get. And so there was a part of them that was just real straightforward and like this is what God expects of us. This is what God wants from us. And so there's no reason for us to, to really wrestle with it or think about it or come up with excuses for why we don't need to do it. If God asks us to do it, we just need to do it. You know, they, part of that greatest generation where if there was a job that needed doing, you just did it. Not a lot of fuss, not a lot of drama, just do it. And there was a part of me that might have assumed that because of that mindset that they lived with a sense of having to please God, having to prove themselves through what they were able to do and accomplish in Jesus' name. But the more I got to know them, the more I realized, and I think this has always been the best part of our tradition, is that we want to be obedient we want to please God, not, not, not out of a sense of fear, but out of a sense of gratitude. Now, there's always the danger that we might slip into doing things out of fear. 
And in fact, there, there have been times in my life where I have been sitting next to somebody who's lived their life trying to please God, and they're nearing the end of their lives, and there's a part of them that's, that's afraid, there's a part of them that's terrified that they haven't done enough good things. In other words, however they understood their faith, it was making it hard for them to be ready to meet their maker. But you see, I was, I was there to see how both Peepaw and Mima drew closer and closer to the ends of their lives. I'm going to tell you, they were ready to meet Jesus face to face. There was this assurance, there was this confidence that in the end it wasn't going to really be about how perfect they were. It was going to be about how perfect God's love for them is. And because of that, they, you know, they, they knew how to have fun. You know, Mima, for the last six years of her life, really lost, just age-related dementia, she lost her filter. <laughs> and I'm terrified to think there could be a day in my future where I don't have a filter <laughs> between what I'm actually thinking and what I'm saying. And some of you may think, you have a filter? I do, I promise. <laughs> You'd know if it was gone. One of the last times I got to really spend time with Mima, it was my job to go pick her up at a rehab center to bring her to Thanksgiving dinner. She didn't have a clue who I was when I got there. She was as sweet to me and as kind to me as she could possibly be. And then I, I was with uh, a fellow's grandson-in-law, Jeff, and we were trying to get her in her wheelchair and all that stuff. We get into the elevator, and I'm thinking the whole time, you know, she's been really nice to us, and she doesn't know who we are, I, I wish that I was that trusting. You know, and then she says to the worker in the elevator with us, I don't know who these two guys are, but they're young and they're handsome and I'm going with them. <laughs> I think she was talking about Jeff, not me, the, the handsome part. Who would you be without a filter? Mima was losing her mind and she never lost her faith. And the more she didn't even know who she was, the more she was like Christ. That's the kind of life I want to live. And when we think about the Christians through the ages and their struggle with that relationship with God, how can we be confident? How can we rest assured that even if we started losing our ability to think as clearly as we, we once were able to, that we're not saved based on our ability to understand everything perfectly? That it's about a relationship and it's a gift. It's not a burden. It's a blessing. It's not an assignment. The author of Hebrews wants us to have that same kind of confidence. That, 
that we should have a faith, a relationship with God, that as we draw closer to the end of our earthly lives, we're ready. We're ready. I want us to read together in Hebrews chapter 10 some words that help remind us of this truth. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, not by our accomplishments, by what we've done, right, but by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, better way to translate that, a true heart, and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to clear us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. A new and living way that's open to us by Jesus. Jesus is always new. Jesus is always alive. And Jesus is always our way. I want you to take a moment and think about your experience of newness in your life. You know, all of us have different memories of what it feels like to have a new lease on life. You know, those moments where we get to turn the page from something that's been difficult or a season of life that we just, we wish we could move on from and we feel stuck for a long time and then suddenly we're able to breathe again. You know, sometimes it's, it's just the way it feels when you wake up one day and, and the sun is shining and just th this way that it warms your heart and you have this sense that, you know what, it's, it's going to be okay. That everything's going everything's to be better. Jesus is always that for us. Jesus, Jesus is our way of understanding that we don't have to stay who we've always been. That things don't have to go the way they've been going. That, that there really is always this chance to be new. For the world to be made new. For the church to give people a new beginning. Through grace and mercy that doesn't come from us but comes from God our Father. And we're just sharing it with one another. But Jesus isn't only that sense of newness. Jesus is also in a world that's running on the fear of death. Jesus gives us a life. He is life that's stronger than death, that's stronger than any difficult 
moment that we may be imagining that's racing towards us or situation that we realize is just too much for us to handle because as much as you and I need to have these moments where we wake up and we feel new, we also need to be reminded that when that feeling of newness is stolen from us, when the fear of death creeps in, when we're not sure what to do or where to go, Jesus is alive and well and Jesus is always for us. And how are we going to get there? Well, Jesus is always our way home. Jesus is always our way back. It's not just that you and I are trying to find our own way. You and I are called to embrace Jesus as that way back, that way home, that way to the place where we know in our hearts we truly belong. And it is a life that's beyond all the things that that are haunting us and are chasing us down. It is a life that is filled with goodness and promise and rescue. Jesus is our new and living way. Do you believe that's true? Do you believe that That of all the things that we have in this life that we get to experience, of all the relationships that we're invited into, that our relationship with Jesus is enough. I love the words in Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25, because they remind us of these three things. That in these days of being afraid, we can keep trusting. That in these days of losing heart, we can keep hoping. And in these days of giving up, we can keep dreaming. I I want you to look real quickly at just, if you've got your Bible app or you've got your Bible open, I want you to look at just the structure of these verses. Because what you find is that the Hebrews author says, let us. Three times. Let us. Let us draw near to God. How? With true hearts and with full assurance. Right? Let us draw near to God with trust, in other words. And then let us hold on to the what? To the hope. The hope that we profess. And why can we hold on to that hope? Because the one who is promised is faithful. And then let us consider, and that is such a dry, logical, rational sounding word for what we're really called to do here, right? It's not just let us consider, but let's dream. Let's dream about all the ways that as a community and a family of faith, as the household of God, we can not only reflect on Jesus, experience Jesus, but we can become an open door for the waiting and watching world to find what they're looking for. Not in us, but through us. And when you think about our world, when you think about the lives of the people around you, 
you don't need me to tell you or remind you this morning of just how much so many people are running on fear. And fear does a lot of toxic, negative things to us. I think the worst thing fear does is it causes us to not trust our neighbors. I, I get that we don't trust our enemies. That's a sermon for a different day. What I'm concerned about is how much I feel this increasing sense that it's not so much that we, we struggle with trusting our enemies because everybody understands that. I think more and more, brothers and sisters, we're not even giving the people we share this, this community with the benefit of the doubt that they're good and decent people. They, they may not share all of our same values. They, they may not want all of the same things we want. But if you and I... As we're preparing for the day to leave our house, we, we start to put the, the postures of our, our hearts in a place where we're just going to go to war with every single person that's around us. We're going to find that we're pushing people away, the very people who need to, to, to know that they can draw close to God because of Jesus. If we just run around angry and afraid and not trusting, I don't, I don't know how you and I are going to get to be a part of the, the beautiful, amazing, transforming, life-saving work that we've been called into. And, and all of us know there's all kinds of reasons for us to struggle with looking at the way things are going and just deciding, shaking our heads in disgust and disappointment and losing heart. But brothers and sisters, we're supposed to be the people who move through this world with hope. That God is with us. That God is beside us. That God is working. That God isn't through yet. And you can tell when someone's just using hopey words or if they actually believe that the best days are ahead of us because the one who has promised is faithful. And all of us know what it's like to want to give up. All of us know what it's like to kind of turn inward and batten down the hatches and just try to get through. Jesus, Jesus doesn't want us to settle. Jesus wants us to keep dreaming. To keep opening our hearts to the possibility that with all the goodness that you and I can imagine, that God our Father is better still. Now, all of those statements are important for us to not only hear, but but for us to find a way to let those words have a home in our hearts. And yet, Scripture consistently calls us beyond ourselves to everyone else. And so, what I want to encourage 
every single one of you, to think about this morning, to, to wrestle with in your heart, is the fact that it, Jesus isn't just the way that, that you and I, that, that we keep trusting and hoping and dreaming. Jesus is also supposed to be the way we help everyone else keep trusting, hoping, and dreaming. When uh, I was a senior in high school, church had just got out. And so everybody was kind of making their way towards their, their cars in the parking lot. And there was this red, red pickup truck that was pulling out of the, the church parking lot. And this girl in our youth group was driving that truck. And someone just told me, called my name, right? Started telling me something in the direction of that truck. So I looked kind of towards the exit and I noticed in the corner of my eye, something was moving too quickly. There was like a flash. And then there was a crash. A motorcyclist had rammed into the side of her truck right behind the driver's side door. And because there were so many people out in the parking lot, so many witnesses, you know, even though that motorcyclist was instantly dead, because there were so many kids and everything, when the ambulance got there, put them in the ambulance, turn on the sirens, You know, as if there was a hope to save him. It was already too late. Well, I, I happened to be interning at the church. And so I was at the, the church building the next day on Monday. And I saw this really tall guy with really long blonde hair standing in the center lane. You know, the lane that's painted yellow on both sides, that turn lane. Just standing out in the street. Looking down at the ground. At the stains that the accident had left behind. And so I walked to the sidewalk and I called out to him to get his attention. And there, there were no cars that happened to be on the street at that time. So he came over to me. And I asked him if there was anything I could do to help. And he said, I, I don't know. My name's Michael, and my dad was the guy killed here yesterday. And he said, I don't know what to do. And my dad happened to be at the church office at that moment, and so I thought, okay, you know, I'm just an intern minister. This is too hard for me to deal with, so I'm going to take him, you know, to the major leagues. So... I take Michael, we walk across the church parking lot, we start talking to my dad. And he starts just telling us about his life, telling us about who he was and who his dad had been. And his dad had had a history in the Hells Angels. He, he, he'd had a hard, difficult life. 
He had tried to start pulling his, his life together. And in fact, Michael said, I don't really know all the details of the accident, but I, I'm sure he was speeding because we had just found out that he was going to be a dad again and he was rushing to the hospital. And you think, How, what, are you, what are you supposed to say to all that? What are you supposed to do? And he said, you know, the, the thing that's really bothering me is we don't have a church. We don't ever go to church. I mean, we believe in God, but we don't ever go to church. Church is not our scene, is what he said. But we got to have a funeral in a church, right? He said, can we have it here? And my dad said, yeah, absolutely, we can have it here. And he said, well, I'm, I'm going to have to invite my dad's friends, and they're not church people. And I don't think they have church clothes. My dad said, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. We can have the funeral here. So the next few days, my dad was scrambling to get this funeral together. And he started calling different people, members in our church, Hey, we need you to come to this funeral on, on Friday evening. I know you don't know, we, we don't know the guy, but we met his family. We want to be good hosts. Wear your Sunday best for this guy. You know, we're just, we want to be, we want to be there for this family. And you need to know that this is going to be a different kind of funeral than you're used to going to. Please don't embarrass anybody. That's basically what my dad had to tell these folks. You know, just be, just be welcoming. We don't know what's going to happen. So, you know, and at that time I was working with my dad. So I was going to have to run sound for the, the funeral. And as we're getting closer, we're trying to talk about, what do you sing at a funeral for a guy that, you know, just didn't go to church much? And what, what are you going to do? And so we started asking, what kind of music has really meant something to your dad? And he said, well, you know, he really loved the Stones. And so he said, I would really love it if uh, at some point we could, we could play You Can't Always Get What You Want. <laughs> do you think we could do that? And I look over at my dad like, you know these people at church. You're the one who's going to have to handle the conversations. I mean, I'll do it. And my dad took a deep breath and said, yeah, we can do that. And so the, the night came and Michael was there at the, the, ex, you know, the entry doors, greeting all these folks, and they came in, and they were all, it felt like they were all 10 feet tall and wearing black leather, and a few of them came in, and they had bottles in gar, you know, uh, grocery bags, and they were taking hits during the funeral. And I'm watching our church people bite their tongues in Jesus' name. Right, they're just trying to be good. And I mean, the church was packed. There wasn't, there wasn't a, an empty seat in the place. And the, the, Michael's friends and their family, they were all sitting right in the front. So you couldn't miss them. And then it was time for me to play Mick Jagger. And I didn't know how it was going to go. So I hit play. And I had my eyes on this couple. They were like, you know, they were the founding members of the church. Ordo and Vida Clothier. You cannot make those names up. Ordo and Vida Clothier. He was in a three-piece suit at this funeral. 
he was sitting next to a guy who had offered him a hit off a bottle three or four times. And I'm watching Ordo to see what he's going to do. And you know, if you've ever heard that song, it comes in kind of soft and it starts to build. And when it got to the chorus, Ordo Clothier stood up and sang with Mick Jagger. I didn't know he knew that song. He, he, he let people know about, more about himself than any of us knew up until that moment. And one by one, different people started standing up. And we started singing. You can't always get what you want. You can't always get what you want. But if you try sometimes, you just might find. You get what you need. Trust. Hope. Dreaming that a different world really is possible. I thought that would be the end of it, but that's not the end of it. Michael started bringing his family to church. We got to dedicate that brand new baby. They ended up placing membership in our church and starting the journey of faith in the community of faith where his dad lost his life. Jesus is a new and living way. We're going to stand together and we're going to sing. And don't worry, we're not, we, we don't have a congregational arrangement of you can't always get what you want. <laughs> Somebody ought to do that. It's got decent theology in it. We can be better than this. Everything can be better than this. But not because of us because of him. Let's stand together and sing.